Hi everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. I was trying to say that faster than ever, but it is surprisingly difficult. I don't know why. A bit <laughs> of a tongue twister. Uh, anyway, so continuing, uh, as I said, I was going to catch up with people who'd requested uh, or responded to me many moons ago on social media. People who said they wanted to come on the show. So yeah, joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 139 is Adam Lloyd. Welcome to Sound of Play. Hi, Leon. Hi. Uh, so yeah, it was it was literally about eighteen months ago uh, that I first thought, you know, we can just throw this out there and we can see who wants to come on. All I said was, you know, listen to the show. If you listen to the show, if you've got a microphone and you like games music, that's all you need. And uh, you were you were one of, if not the first people to uh, to <laughs> respond. So I went all the way back through my uh, Twitter bits that I liked and saved and there you were and so I expect I'm going to guess it was probably a bit of a surprise after 18 months to uh, get a message <laughs> yeah it, it was um, it's definitely a bit of a bolt from the blue I'd um, actually forgotten that I'd um, yeah. signed up for this in thought you might some, some roundabout way so yeah it, it was a pleasant surprise don't get don't get me wrong so yeah I'm really uh, happy to be here that's good to know. Uh, yeah so uh, if you were one of the others who uh, dm'd me or, or added me uh, 18 months or so ago in, in 2016 watch out uh, <laughs> if you're not listening anymore then you probably won't want to come on uh, and you won't be hearing this anyway so there you go uh, right so uh, you are also known as Horse Morsel on Twitter uh, yeah care, that's right yeah. Care, care to explain um, it's just two funny words that I thought yep. sounded nice um, juxtaposed together so yeah, that's, 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 that's my favourite story kind of, there is. <laughs> that's my favourite kind of handle, uh, one with no real rhyme or reason to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and you also pop up on the forums from time to time, Adman. I don't know if you've um, have you had any requests played on the show before. I'm not sure. Have you posted in that thread? Um, I have, actually. Um, oh, cool. That's probably going back about 18 months as well. All right. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> 
in fact, one of the um, tracks later on is um, from the same game that I requested yeah. back then. Oh, that's absolutely so, fine. Yeah, yeah. We, we we often say because people often when they come on, uh, they say, "Oh, you know, is there a list of tunes?" So I don't I don't want to play anything you've played before. It's like if you think about it, like Radio One plays the same tunes about once an hour. So for us to play the same tune 18 months later after having played hundreds of other tunes, it's not a big deal. So we would rather people pick the tunes they just want to play. And if we've had them before, we have had a few repeats. It's absolutely fine. Um, generally, if somebody wants to hear something uh, or more than one person wants to hear something, it's because it's a, it's a cool tune that people like. So that is absolutely fine. Uh, it also turns out this is purely by coincidence because i didn't know when i invited adam on to this show it's another as we had uh, with our friend ben cartledge from one credit classics the other week uh, it's, it's ended up being a bit of a 16-bit uh, fest but i think most of our listeners will will be okay with that we've had our rare special recently with darren which had uh, 8 16 and 64-bit stuff with uh, enhancements from rare replay we've also had ryan's uh, little experimental robocop show so another 16-bit special i don't think will go amiss and Kicking us off, we had a tune from the Mega Drive with its uh, that distinctive, was it Sharp FM sound chip? I can't remember the actual code number for it. Uh, and from a game we may have featured once or twice before, but not too many times. But uh, yeah, so Ristar. It was a late Mega Drive game by Sonic Team. Uh, after the, you know, Sonic had started to move on. Um, we'd had Sonic CD, we'd had Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Uh, and... We were still yet to get knights on the Saturn, so we got Ristar. Um, is this a game you have fond memories of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I would have been around nine years old when this came out. Good age um, for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I seem to remember seeing this on the back of like a Weetabix packet or something. There was like a oh, contest no. to try and win a copy of the game. Um, yes. And I think the only thing that it said on the back of that uh, that grabbed my attention was that it was by the makers of Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes. So, you know, I absolutely knew I had to get it at that point. Um, I didn't win the competition, but my, no. my parents bought it for me out of pity anyway. Oh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I got it quite soon after release because I think my birthday was probably a couple of months after. Um, and yeah, just loved it ever since, really. And this track in particular, Planet Sonata? Yeah, so this particular track and um the reason why i picked it for the show is um I, I mean i like the track anyway you know it's a nice lovely um it's it's a pleasant track i suppose but i think it has a, a real sort of synergy with the level um because um the, the level itself is like a music themed world you know you, you're bouncing around on drum skins and yeah. you know there's like a lot of songbirds as enemies and metronomes and trumpets everywhere um but the music sort of complements the gameplay um in that um there are like bobbing bird enemies that you have to mm. avoid and, and they bob their heads in time to the music nice um and you know i thought that was um a really nice sort of design feature that you don't really see a lot of yeah i i suppose the, the sort of the music themed level is something that we have seen now and again throughout the uh, the, the platforming uh, games and uh, I suppose the most recent outstanding example I can think of off the top of my head would be the Rayman Legends Lemons um, <laughs> levels which had uh, some really tremendous um, uh, music themed so you would actually uh, you know um, staves of music would float through the sky for you to climb on and stuff like that and th and of course it also had the uh the sort of the music based levels did you play that 
No, I've not uh, not really been into Rayman, unfortunately. It probably ah, well, would be I... in my uh, you know sort yeah. of wheelhouse, so I want to get around yeah. to it at some point. Yeah, I recommend uh, Oranges and Lemons as uh, as fairly high quality modern platformers with uh, some beautiful beautiful art for sure. Uh, but yeah, Ristar was an unusual one. Obviously, he was uh, he was a one and done character. I don't I don't think that he's appeared in anything else ever again since, other than multiple Mega Drive compilations. No doubt he'll be turning up on the forthcoming uh, compilation of. Mega Drive and Genesis games for the uh, the current gen consoles, which is out quite soon, I think. Um, no doubt, Ristar's on there. If it isn't, I'd be I'd be astonished. <laughs> but um, yeah, Tomoko Sasaki was the composer of our opening track today. Uh, just so as you know. Moving on to our first request from the community. This is from Donk, and it's another Mega Drive track, also from uh, as you'd expect, the early mid nineties. Golden Axe is one of the first real games I played on PC, says Donk. Up until then, a lot of it had been golf simulators, flight simulators, and shareware. But Golden Axe had arcade-quality graphics, and playing the game and dying, n- not having to put money into play again, my mind was blown, as it was inequal to free money. I don't think I played the third instalment, but I do love the music in it. Here's a favourite track from Golden Axe 3. This is Ancient Mound.
That was from Golden Axe 3, the Sega AM7 Mega Drive game from uh, 1993. Composers we don't know precisely, but uh, Naofumi Hataya, Tatsuyuki Maeda and Hario Oguro worked on the soundtrack. We covered the Golden Axe games, the trilogy really, back in Kane and Rinse podcast issue 255. I think we spent most time talking about the original, but we also talked about the two Mega Drive sequels and... Uh, of course, the arcade game that was never converted, um, which is uh, yeah a very cool game that's worth checking out on emulation if you can. Uh, when you were a Mega Drive kid, obviously you were you were you're saying you were pretty young. So if you were nine in '95, you were only seven when Golden Axe Three came out, which means you were like barely alive when the original <laughs> Golden Axe came out. Were you allowed to play these brutal hack and slash games? Um, yeah, it's it's. Um, the original Golden Axe, um, I inherited it from my brother at the time. Um, I didn't, oh, I didn't actually know there was um, any sequels to Golden Axe for years. Um, yeah, you know, I, I can remember we used to play like the original one to death, uh, me and my friends, yeah. and we used to be like, "Why haven't they made a sequel to this game?" Mm. Um, but I don't. Did Golden Axe three ever come to the UK um, officially? Well, we talked about this on the show, and uh, it did not. No, um, it no. You could only right. import it. It was it was an odd beast. Anyway, it was um, it didn't feel. It was more of a di- 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 diversion. That's wrong. It was more. It was more different to the first game than the second one was. It had some new mechanics and a new vibe and very different looking graphics. Um, probably the soundtrack is is the most uh, is the thing to um, recommend about it. But it has come out obviously on um, various compilations since you can uh, you can get it on uh, 360 and PS3 on the Golden Axe downloadable compilation, which is well worth well worth checking out. Um, but yeah, no. So you, you're right. If you were only playing. PAL um, European official games up there in from Manchester area, yeah, of England, yeah. Um, so yeah, you you wouldn't have unless you were unless you were on the import scene at a very early age, you wouldn't have been you wouldn't have been getting involved in <laughs> that, that. That that would have been beyond me at that time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I will say though, um, the uh, this particular track um, when I listened to it, it sounded like um, it wouldn't be out of place on such a Streets of Rage. Yeah, they, they, although it's uh, it's not the same composers, I think there's no doubt there was uh, there was a lot of shared influence going around, and um, and mm. I think, but obviously this being a Sega uh, in-house production, I think they they knew to play to the strengths of the of that that very particular sound chip, and I think you can really hear it. It's uh, it's a it's a piece that sounds kind of more uh, expensive than a lot of tunes you would have got from third party yeah. uh, people it sounds more sort of organic and more like it's made somehow with real instruments um, which sort of brings us on to the next one uh, that you've chosen in that this sounds more like uh, an interpretation of a synth piece which it is effectively because Starflight was originally I think a computer game wasn't it that EA because EA were very much in the business of porting their computer games over to uh, to console at this point. Uh, so, for instance, the the original Madden, everyone thinks of Madden as a Mega Drive game, but there was a precursor on the PC. Um, so that was that was often the case, and I'm pretty sure that Starflight was not a game that necessarily you would have thought even lent itself to the console. So this would have been obviously you would have been five when this originally came out. So I assume. 
you came across it later or did you just uh, have you just come across the soundtrack um no this is something that uh, i would have come to a few years later probably right. still a little too young to be playing it really but yeah it's quite involved isn't it yeah um i remember i used to find this game quite daunting actually mm. um because um, at the time I never played anything that was of such a large scope, I suppose, because there's yeah. hundreds of different um, solar systems to explore and, you know, probably over a thousand planets to go to. Yeah. And um, I can remember um, the Mega Drive version specifically came with like an mm. instruction manual mm. and that kind of had like a diary that you were supposed to follow to sort of kick off the story. Right. But I never really understood um, what I was supposed to do in that regard. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I just used to sort of fly off, run out of fuel, get yeah. blown up by some, uh, you know, spacefaring plants, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. But it, it always fascinated me, even though I kind of, um, you know, I, I had a bit of a sense of dread sometimes heading out into the unknown, really. I know that feeling, yeah. And I used to play these games, you know, earlier earlier than you because I'm that that much older um, but I, I tra- tackled them in a very similar way um, I remember Star Glider 2 which was also a, a sort of similarly sort of open open universe feeling game although it wasn't actually and yeah just being somewhat overwhelmed with the amount of things that you could do the amount of um, the amount of controls the amount of options um, I mean yeah this game actually dates back to 1986 so it was already five years old when it came to the Mega Drive um, which obviously it, you know, it meant that they could run it okay on on that uh you know slightly lesser powered system but yeah so this is essentially i I never played starflight but it's although the presentation isn't like elite uh it's not (laughs) 3d wireframe or anything like that or solid polygons but it is it has the similar sort of scope doesn't it about uh you know you you kind of yeah go off into the cosmos and you can mine and shoot and be a diplomat and all this other cool stuff so yeah it must have been must have been like what yeah where do I even begin? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, look, looking back at it now, one of the things that I think is most um, impressive about the game is that the uh, the galaxy wasn't procedurally generated or anything. You know, somebody actually must have right. sat down and created all the yeah. maps. And, you know, you can go to each individual planet. You can land on absolutely any of them. Um so, you know, they've got um, hundreds of different maps just for the planets. And, wow. you know, it's quite, uh, it must have been quite a big undertaking, really. Yeah, no doubt. And the music that we're going to hear a track from is by uh, Michael Bartlow. This is quite uh, appropriate because uh, at the time of recording, we're about to record our Rampage podcast, which is uh, which is going to come out soon. Now, that game didn't feature very much music at all, just a little jingle. But Michael Bartlow did the music for that. He also did the famous theme from Peter Gunn for the original Spy Hunter coin-op. That was his first. Uh, he did the uh, Madden 92 music as well on the Mega Drive. But this is more of a, uh, the, I guess this makes me think of uh yeah the sort of the great synth scores of the 80s obviously it comes from the 80s even though this version came out in the 90s so i suppose i'm thinking of uh vangelis jan hammer that kind of that kind of vibe yeah i'd say so and it 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 sort of reminds me of um um sort of a tv sort of science fiction theme tune as well Um, yeah you know it's, it's definitely got that quality and that's something that i really like about it
That was the title theme from Starflight, the Mega Drive version, by Michael Bartlow, as chosen by our guest Adam. Next up, we have to slip in a few Super Nintendo tunes as well, because Adam is obviously a massive Sega sycophant, a zealot, a fanboy, (laughs) uh, because he's picked all he's picked all Sega stuff. But we can't have that. Uh, We are format agnostic, famously. So we've got a couple of requests in from the community for some Super Nintendo tracks, uh, picked tunes from around the same time. So this is from PLQC at canarince.com slash forum, who has a little story. When I was a li- but a little child, my father would work on the road sometimes for weeks. I'd miss him, but in a way I quite enjoyed it because every time he came back, he would return to us with a gift. One of those times, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and seeing his shoes next to the door. My father had returned. And there I found on the kitchen table the SNES game he intended to give me in the morning, D-Force. I definitely couldn't play it right away. It was probably around 3am and I was about five years old. But I took a quick glance at the box and then went back to bed. Excited for that new game I would get to play in the morning. The game ended up being way too difficult for me. I could never get very far. Even to this day, I have to admit I'm not too good at shoot 'em ups. But two things carved their way into my brain. The intro, where your helicopter would shoot a brick wall and reveal the title screen, which I thought was so cool, and the song I'm submitting today. This song really epitomises the 90s. It was every bit the power rock song designed to get your blood pumping to make you feel excited for what was to come. It's not a perfect song. The drum especially comes to mind. I always assumed that sound actually was the helicopter's blade spinning. But listening to the OST, no, it's just a terrible drum sound. That being said, listening to this short song still makes me as excited as that kid who found the game on the kitchen table in the middle of the night. This is Seaside by Asmic Sound Team. Mysterious Asmic sound team there with Seaside from D-Force, also known originally as Dimension Force, uh, and not tremendously well-received shoot 'em up from the Super Nintendo, but frankly, such a sweet story. The idea of a dad who, who works away coming home with a with a Super Nintendo cartridge and leaving it there for the for the for the child or the children is uh, yeah they they don't always get their 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 uh, their purchase selections right. If, do you ever have any horror stories of being bought the wrong present or uh, or a game that you just thought was terrible and having to pretend that you liked it or something like that? The only situations that probably happened is when I specifically asked for a game and then it just turned out to be awful. Um, oh. My parents didn't really. Um, go out and buy one on spec and you know just on the recommendation of someone in a shop um, that specifically asked me if there's something that I wanted and there's um, there's a couple of games um, that I've kind of had to sort of grit my teeth and pretend that I've enjoyed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, any spring um, to mind um, 
black and white actually. Um, not, ah. I wasn't a big fan of that game, but I, I was chomping at the bit to get my hands on that for oh, quite yeah. a long time beforehand. Um, and yeah, after probably a day or two, I wanted to put it down, but I played it for a couple of weeks just to kind of show my appreciation more than anything. Yeah, well, again, being that much older, I bought that for myself. I remember it being technically astonishing the way you could zoom out all the way and zoom in. It looked absolutely miraculous on the PC, but pretty much like every Peter Molyneux new game I've ever played, it starts off really interesting and then you realise that there's only three things to do and you get really sick of it really quickly. Yeah, so. exactly. And um, it, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's a bad game or anything. It's just something that didn't really appeal to me after a couple of hours, really. Uh, it yeah. just wasn't quite what I was expecting, which, as you say, is kind of a, a staple of Molyneux's games, really. Did you play Populous or Powermonger on your Mega Drive back in the day? Um, I actually played... Um, um, there was a version of Populous for the PlayStation. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a sequel, effectively, but it was just called... It was it was effectively Populous. It was the third Populous game, but it was, yeah. it was a reboot as well, yeah. I, I think it was called Populous The Beginning as well, which, you know... Kind of, oh, you're yeah, quite right, yes. It's, yeah. <laughs> it gives the impression that it's the yeah, like a prequel, so... Um, but yeah, I, I remember quite enjoying that at the time. Um, I don't think I quite realised that, you know, this was from the same lineage as that, really. So, you know, that, mm. I don't think that connection really sprung to mind. I just like the idea of sort of playing God and having a gi- big giant pet, really. Slapping it about. Yeah. That's <laughs> cruel, <laughs> Bit of animal cruelty, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, sea shanties are a takeaway from that game. I remember uh, that was one of the first... Uh, things that that springs to mind. There were you could uh, if you zoomed in on the sailors that were just hanging around on the shore. They would they would be they would have to be singing oh, songs to themselves. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, mm. which is obviously uh, it's at the forefront of our minds with Sea of Thieves doing the rounds at the moment. Um, you can't actually shanty in. Uh, well, you can. You can do it for yourselves. I think the idea is that you if you if you hold your you get by default you get given a couple of instruments. So you have an accordion and a hurdy gurdy as in your inventory. And you can just start, you can pull them out and start playing them wherever you want. And if, you, if you're playing in a group, which is the absolutely the optimum way to enjoy Sea of Thieves, the music, the music will automatically come together uh, unless, you're, uh, unless you're drunk, in which case it, it's all <laughs> horrifically out of tune and out of time and it all falls apart. And it's just quite amusing. That just ought uh, to be the game in itself, to be honest. They ought to just ditch the ships, ditch the treasure hunts, <laughs> just, yeah, just a sea, sea shanty simulator. Could be done. Could be done. <laughs> now, your next choice, another Mega Drive selection. Now, this game was very cool, um, I remember. Uh, nobody knew how to pronounce it unless you had the American version, which was called Wings of War, but War spelt with an O. I don't know why. Uh, I always used to call it Gynaug. I've recently been told it's Ginog. Um, I don't know how you've said it your whole life. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think it is Ginog, but I always used to yeah. call it Gynog. Gynog. Yeah. Okay. So slightly Gynog. different, but yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, so this this game was uh, probably most notable. There were a lot of horizontal scrolling shoot ups on the Mega Drive. It was a fantastic machine for those. Still is. Um, this was probably best known for its really icky graphics. I mean, good icky, right? Well, yeah, I suppose. Um, 
<laughs> there's a there's a definite horror element to it. Um, the, the bosses especially. I mean, there's like yeah. a, a hermit crab that sort of vomits itself inside out to try and kill you. And, um, <laughs> I hate it when they do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's like a human face grafted onto a train and mm. all these kind of horrific things. I mean, there's even a boss that like he uh, sort of throws his heart at you as an attack. Yeah. Very Giga, sort of biomechanoid inspired, lots of body horror, a bit Cronenbergian. Is there a, there's a giant, is there a fetus at some point? There's always a fetus. Yeah, um, the last boss is a bit um, a bit of a fetus. Um, yeah, <laughs> for one yeah. of a better I, word. Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm pretty sure this is one of the ones that I I did. Uh, I completed a heck of a lot of shoot 'em ups on the Mega Drive, and I think this was this is one I did finish probably by uh, using the options to to uh, give myself as many lives as possible. Um, it wasn't exactly bullet hell, but it was quite intense, as I recall. It was definitely quite difficult, even if you... Because um, you could go into the options, turn the difficulty down and give yourself extra mm. lives. But um, if I remember, I think the last level is like a sort of mini boss rush. Um, yeah, and sounds e- about right. Yeah, even with um, full lives, it's it's very difficult to get through, really. So as a kid, as you were playing on the Mega Drive, did this game strike you did it make you feel like you were cool for playing this quite edgy subject matter or did it actually creep you out a bit i think it would have creeped me out a bit as like an eight nine ten year old <laughs> um i don't know I, th- I thought it was quite cool um yeah it, i suppose it was unlike anything that i'd seen before and in a way it kind of still is quite unique in that regard you know there aren't um there aren't a lot of games in this sort of style um especially um you know in this kind of detail as well um, because yeah, as, as you say, it's like um, you know body horror, but it also kind of looks a bit like a, um, sort of like a medical textbook um, <laughs> oh, yeah, in right. some ways. Yeah. You know, like very sort of detailed depictions of like you know musculature yeah. and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, it, all, all all rendered in beautiful sprite art. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah I, they I should think... re-release it. Steel Empire got a re-release on the 3DS a couple of years ago. Um, which was another game, uh, possibly from the same corp. I'm not sure, Messiah Corp. But it was certainly the same era, same sort of... This This was a steampunk game, Steel Empire. Um, don't know if you remember that one. Um, but yeah, I would love it if somebody brought a Ginog, uh, you know, in beautiful high-res modern sprites to the to the current systems. That would be cool. Yeah, it'd, play. it'd definitely pop on, uh, on new systems. Um, mm, yeah, it'd be really nice. Telly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the music, uh, obviously, with working with the the Mega Drive and other sixteen bit sound, often we talked. Uh, ben and I talked about how on things like Thunder Force, they were clearly, you know, trying to make a soundtrack that sounded like heavy metal, and they they were doing their very best to do that with with what they had available. What 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 did what vibe did you get sort of genre wise from from Ginog's music? Um, it's a little bit all over the place, um, mm. depending on the levels. Um, and I suppose this is it. The level design's kind of all over the place because one minute you're in like a, a vast cave system, the next you're in the sky, underwater, in like an old haunted house, that kind of thing. Um, but the um, the music um, sort of follows that uh, that same sort of structure. You know, it's appropriate for the level that you're on. Um, yeah. So, the I mean, the track that I've chosen, um, it's like in a factory level. And it's like the run up to um, like a, a particular boss who's like a, a hideous sort of humanoid creature wrapped around a steam engine, and um, yeah, so it, it's kind of got that sort of industrial vibe to it. Um, mm. But I also like how um, the melody on this track sort of um, 
it almost feels like the composer's soloing in some points. You know, you're not quite sure mm. where he's going to go with it next. Um, and I think that's really cool. Superb. Let's hear it. This is from 4-2. That's all it's called by Noriyuki Iwadari.
from Messiah Corp's Ginog. I think they're a corp. They're often a corp. You know, these uh, Japanese shoot them up uh, developers. From the Mega Drive, released by NCS in Japan, DreamWorks in America, and Sega in Europe. Uh, yeah, cool game. Kind of not forgotten, but uh, but because it's never really been repackaged, re-released, um, unless you're a sort of enthusiast. Um, it's Yeah, it's not hasn't got a high profile so i would say definitely check it out on youtube if not on emulation or on your mega drive if you've got one uh, next up a slightly more well-known game and a slightly more cheery tune this was requested a while ago but again it fitted in with the vibe of this show this is from marco over at canarince.com slash forum sign up and uh, join our friendly intelligent community marco says so the other day in between the downpours we had a lovely bit of sunshine and I was walking around whistling this tune, but couldn't remember what it was from. When I finally remembered, my already good mood was elevated into pure bliss. A celebratory piece that felt like it was urging anyone with an earshot to cheer for the magnificent feat that had just been accomplished. Capcom even thanked the player personally at the end in recognition of his or her brilliance. If there's ever another feel-good music episode, this would be my first choice. Not the most complex piece, but one that can never fail to make me smile. Well, this isn't a feel-good special, but you can never have enough of Staff Roll by Yoko Shimomura and possibly Isao Abe. that was from Street Fighter 2 of course the Super Nintendo version I don't know if it's the same staff roll tune at the arcades I can't remember I would have heard them all so many times playing through with the various characters uh, we covered Street Fighter 2 and the various iterations of uh, that game in 
Kane and Rince podcast issue 133. The Alpha series and the 3 series have separate shows. More to come in the future, no doubt. Of course, at the time of recording, we're about two months away from the 30th anniversary compilation. Looking very much forward to that. So if you were a Mega Drive uh, kid, this is my guest, Adam. Did you, as I did before I had a SNES, uh, get hold of the special champion edition of Street Fighter 2 on the Mega Drive? Um, no, actually. Um, I had a friend who had a SNES, so that's where we used to play Street Fighter 2. Uh-huh. Um, hence why that's probably the reason why I'm so bad at Street Fighter, because I never had had it on a console that I could practice on. Right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm horrendous at Street Fighter 2. I, I just can't pull off pretty much any moves. Um, okay. You know, it's the whole quarter circles. I just, yes. get, um, just get in a mess okay. with them, really. Um but yeah, um, I'll have probably heard that tune somewhere, but um, it, it'll have been just watching my friend play. Um, it, it'll be I'll have never managed to get to the end of it myself, really. So did that formulate your sort of fighting game uh, sort of attitude and opinion for the whole of your gaming career? Like, I'm assuming that given that you're a sound of play listener and you're you're still gaming, you know, all these years on, you've you know, you, you, you're still a, a serious, you know, kind of gamer or, or, you know, hardcore, whatever you want to call it. Did the fact that you didn't gel with Street Fighter 2 or have the opportunity to get good at that, has that, has that painted your entire fighting game career or did you get into Tekken <laughs> or something else? Absolutely. I, I got into Tekken uh, ah, on the okay. PlayStation, yeah. So I made right. that my fighter of choice instead. And, you know, that's something that I, I'd like to say I'm pretty good at. Um, you know, obviously them's fighting words, but, um, uh-huh. you know, that's... Well, it's a very different yeah. control mode of operation, isn't it? It's it's not about <clears throat> motion controls, it's about sequences mainly. Yeah, it, it's, um, I don't know, the fact that um, you've got the um, the face buttons on the controller are mapped to individual limbs, That mm. it just made sense to me. Somehow. Logic, yeah. definite logic, it's yeah. Like you can see somebody pull off a move and you can think, okay, well, he stepped forward and he used his right fist, so... Hence, it'll be forward triangle, you yeah. know that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, have you have you kept up with the series through through all its ups and downs up to the the latest version? Yeah. So, I've been playing Tekken Seven over the last year. Um, yeah, really good version. Um, really yes. happy with that actually. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I love the um, the slow mo. Um, you know, when you um, when you're just about to land the last punch. Mm. Uh, and the uh, the action slows down and it gets really tense for like half a second there it's really good yeah 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 it reminds me of the old uh back to streets of rage you know thumping out the the boss at the end of the stage and, oh, and you get yeah. that sort of slowdown effect adds adds a lot of weight both physically literally and metaphorically to the situation yeah definitely. yeah i'm i'm i haven't played nearly enough tekken 7 you know it's it's one of the many games that has uh that i've got in the collection that i haven't devoted as much time as it deserves to but one of the things that i really love about it as a as a piece is that it's got this whole museum of all the stuff i think i've talked about this on here before or, or one of our podcasts so if you're a fan of the series, it's got like all the pretty much all the endings and all the intros and all the tunes from all the previous versions of the game. So it's like a museum of Tekken, which is which is great for you know nostalgia. And some of those some of those old FMV intros and endings are just insane and <laughs> hilarious now. Yeah, they're um, um, they're very stilted in terms of the animation, but they they, yeah. they do have a certain charm about them. It, it's really nice to see them. And then you get weird ones like where Yoshimitsu's ones where suddenly a bunch of live action filmed kids will turn up 
<laughs> rather than CGI kids, it will suddenly be actual kids. And some really, really weird humour in like Makujin's uh, ones with his with his Mrs. Makujin and uh, all this. Kind of, oh, yeah, very, very weird. <laughs> um, are you, d- being a, a Namco fighting fan, did you did you also bring that to Soul Edge, Soul Calibur? Um, a little bit, yeah. Um, I've played, um, I can remember playing Soul Edge back on the PlayStation and then yeah. I think I missed Soul Calibur um, and then picked up in um, on the PS2 with Soul Calibur 2. Yeah, uh, I can remember that being a really good version. Um, yes, but yeah, I've kind of lost touch a little bit with um, Soul Calibur over the years. Um, probably yeah. since that point, actually. But it's, it's yeah, still, a lot of people yeah, have. Still a very good game, though. Yeah, so obviously three was an odd one because it was uh, PS2 exclusive, and then four was the one which had Star Wars characters in, and and it was it looked nice because it was on the new gen systems, but it was a bit odd. Then then we had five, which kind of didn't set the world on fire, but uh, six to come. So maybe if that if they can sort of do what they've done with Tekken Seven and and create something that is both accessible and also a real sort of. Uh, like a yeah that if it has that sort of fan service museum element i'll be i'll be absolutely well into it and it should look i mean soul edge on the ps1 at the time looked absolutely gorgeous if you remember yeah um and soul caliber of course on the dreamcast was just eye meltingly gorgeous if they can get that same level of spectacularness on on a modern system in 4k uhd or whatever that would be that would be amazing uh right back to fewer pixels from the 16-bit era now this is a series of games that i say it's a series of games there are i think there are three um this is surely the best known one Landstalker. i did not get on well with this game i still feel bad about that i still feel like (laughs) i want to go back and play it properly and complete it but i had a real issue with the isometric platforming and working out where i was on the screen so did you get you got round that? <laughs> Did you get to the end? Uh, yeah, I can remember completing this game. Um, and you're right, the um, the isometric style really um, sort of hinders you in terms of like, because there's, there's a lot of platforming sections yes. um, and a lot of jumps to make. And yeah, yeah. It, it, it can get really awkward. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I don't know what it was about this game that um, really sort of struck me as a child. Um it always, even then, it kind of felt like a bit of a budget version of uh, the Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think um, it still feels like it was a good game in its own right, and um, I liked the um, sort of um, you know the action RPG elements. You know, it, it wasn't yeah. um, uh, it wasn't so strict on you know statistics and you know turn based um, fighting. It was you know it was proper action RPG, which uh, I think really helped me sort of ease into um rpgs in the future yeah the reviews were, were really good um and obviously it wasn't that uh it wasn't that much of a stretch the idea of of doing isometric platforming back in in the 80s and, and 90s uh, obviously ultimate rare had done it and uh ritman and drummond had done it with batman and head over heels and stuff like that and i'd enjoyed those games i just remember this having quite a lot of um it whereas those those 8-bit games tended to, if you fell down, you just tended to land on the floor and have to do the jumps again. This had a lot of actual falling down kind of to your death off the screen and having to restart areas again, if yeah. I recall. Um, there were quite a few dungeons where if you fell down, you you um, were teleported back to the start of the dungeon. Oh, right. So, yeah, okay. you could get quite close to the end and then have to do the whole thing again. 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That 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 that's the sort of thing that and and obviously I was. Uh, whereas you were, you had that sort of uh, youthful uh, endeavor and and also probably a, a lack of games. By the time I was playing this, <laughs> I was in my twenties, had disposable income, and less time, and so I was probably uh, less patient than than I should have been with it. Um, and musically, uh, this this particular piece, let's go on an adventure. What do you like about this one? Um, this one. It doesn't appear in the game very often. Um, right. I think this theme is only used um, possibly right at the start of the game, um, just as, yeah. as you are about to go on an adventure, um, yeah. and maybe once or twice along the way. Um, I think it's just a nice point to kick off um, the game, really. Um, mm. it, it sort of um, it, it celebrates like um, a sense of adventure. You know, you, you're about to embark on this quest. Um, you don't really know what's going to happen next, but you know you, you've got a lot of energy. You're pumped. You're infused for it, and you know it, I think it really sets it up nicely. Um, I think you happen to be riding on a giant eagle at the time as well, so you know that's oh, that's yeah. always a nice way to to start. That was from Landstalker. Let's go on an adventure. Composer Motoaki Takanuchi. Climax Entertainment made that. Uh, th- that was a Mega Drive game, uh, which did come out over here, released by Sega everywhere, I think. Then there was a Super Nintendo game called Lady Stalker, which followed it up. Which yeah. is, d- did you ever get to play that? Um, years later. Um, it, okay. It's an odd game. Um, one of the weirdest things about it is it takes out the platforming aspect of oh, Landstalker. Oh, it does. So oh, right. I mean, maybe you might actually get on with it a bit better. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that you can't actually jump or anything like that, which oh, it, right. you know, it feels a bit weird because Landstalker has quite a verticality to it. You know, uh, mm. a lot of the dungeons you're climbing up, um, but yeah, Lady Stalker doesn't have that because the character can't can't leave the floor. Do you think that was developed as a response to people's frustrations with the the original game? Possibly. Um, yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me if um, a lot of people felt frustrated by that and uh, they just decided to remove it for the sequel. Right. And how about Dark Saviour? So that was, it wasn't a direct sequel, I'm thinking, but it was like a spiritual successor. It was on the Saturn. Yeah, and... I think it had um, a lot of the same team behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's something that I was interested in, but um, I, I never picked up a Saturn and, and never played the game. So, yeah. Yeah, see. 
That's that's the trouble with 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 you format zealots. Yes, I'm afraid so. <laughs> I'm only teasing. I, I wish um, I had yeah. less money than I would have got one as well. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, Dark Savior uh, was a, yeah because I, I'd never got around to. I, I did have a Saturn. I still have. In fact, I've still got the same one. Um, uh, it was a game that I was interested in, but because of, because of my experiences with Landstalker, I, I didn't get around to it. But I remember it reviewing not quite so well uh, because people were saying it was very short, it was very quick to complete. But it turned out that I think it was kind of a precursor to something like Near Automata in a way, in that it was a game that you were meant to go round and round again, and and each time you played it, uh, different parts of the story were revealed in some way. Oh, okay, right. Hmm. But uh, but yes, that's that's. I'm speaking from a yeah basically remembering 20 year old reviews here and and uh, and think you know, tapping into that part of my brain that still wants to play every single game that's ever been released uh and there, here's me speaking as somebody i haven't even played PUBG or fortnite yet so uh how that how's that going to work i don't know right <laughs> penultimate track time for this sound of play this is requested by our friend alex 79 uk from the forum who says a brilliant theme, the opening of which just reminds me of 80 sci-fi movies before exploding into a fantastically uplifting and catchy tune. I've had it stuck in my head for over 20 years. Love the game. Love the soundtrack. This is Flashbacks Credits by Jean Baudelot and Fabrice Vissero.
Also, the Mega Drive version requested there by Alex specifically. Uh, I think we talked on Kane and Rinse podcast issue 268 about the development of Flashback. It was, uh, I think, yeah, it was shared between the Amiga and Mega Drive versions, um, if I recall correctly, and then ended up coming out on the Amiga before the Mega Drive. I can't quite remember. Listen to that podcast. They'll have gone into some detail about it. I wasn't on that one because I've never finished Flashback, sadly. Uh, I found it really difficult. Was this one of your Mega Drive games back in uh, in the 90s, Adam? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm with you, actually. Um, I never finished mm. it either because, uh, yeah, I've just found it too difficult. Um, I think I remember getting to a point where you teleport to, like, an alien yes. planet. Um, and then just got hopelessly stuck shortly after that. Okay, really. well, that is, that's like three quarters of the way through, I think. Uh, well, that, that's quite reassuring. I think so. <laughs> Having, well, because I, <laughs> tragically, I did complete the 2013 remake, uh, which is, uh, I would say, not great. I would say deeply mediocre. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, I mean, it even involved a lot of the same development team as the original, but uh, yeah, it's just, it was a very um, straight, straight to DVD kind of interpretation came out on xbla um i reviewed it at the time and uh, yeah it was it was disappointing it does actually contain the original game an emulation thereof i'm not sure which version it is i think it might be amiga or, or mega drive i'm not sure but weirdly you access it by uh, visiting an arcade machine why it was never an arcade machine it never would have worked <laughs> as an arcade machine and it's got no real kind of interface so you just kind of you just kind of you go up to it and you're playing the game but there's no kind of saving or or anything like that so it's not really it's not really um satisfactory so uh but there is another version on the way i believe for switch so uh, oh, wow. okay. uh hopefully if, if they can just keep the essence of the original without you know messing with it too much and maybe you know maybe just you know sharpen it up a bit but have the the option of the original graphics as well something like that you know that's what we want we want sensitive tenderly made remakes that that uh, both appreciate and respect the original while also offering some yeah contemporary bells and whistles so where are you uh, what are you gaming on at the moment have you stayed as a one format per generation person or have you branched out this time i branched out a little bit last generation um in that I had a ps3 and um, a 360 yeah. i think ended everyone um, ended up almost with with both because th- you just had to didn't you <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but this time around, I'm uh, just solely on PS4 at the moment, um, hoping to maybe pick up a Switch. Yeah, um, at some point, because um, it, it would be nice to uh, you know uh, use that as a bit of an indie gaming machine. It's uh, it seems to be becoming quite a nice platform oh, yeah. for that. Absolutely, and obviously Nintendo first party stuff. Uh, even if you've never been sort of one who's um, sort of been into the whole Mario and Zelda thing, uh, I would say Breath of the Wild and Odyssey are very good places to to jump on board and and kind of start finding out what you've been missing. Uh, Lovely, yeah. Yes, and if you, do you have a commute? <laughs> <laughs> um, I do actually. So yeah, th- I mean the Switch might be perfect for that really. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's um, a good two hours of my day, nearly, taken up with commuting. Treat so. yourself. I'm spending your money yeah, for you. Perfect. Sort it out. <laughs> When's your birthday? I'm not buying it for you. I'm just saying. Oh. Signific- you got significant my other? Could you- puppy yeah, dog eyes? Yeah, I might have to, I might have to beg and plead. Yeah, do it. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, listeners, please venture over to our forum. As I've said, com slash forum. You'll find uh, Adam and 
I don't know what the numbers are now. Quite a lot of other people uh, chatting away about games in a friendly, respectful and intelligent fashion. It is like a little oasis away from social media uh, where you can talk, you can have ideas, you can have arguments, but they remain civil. And uh, generally, it's a good place to be if you love video games. You can request your favourite tunes as well for this podcast that we do every Wednesday, Sound of Play. You can also do that on Twitter. Follow us at Kane and Rince. Use the hashtag Sound of Play if you want us to see it in that context. We also have a Facebook page, of course, and uh, you can interact with us there. That's where we share news and uh, other bits and bobs from the world of video games and Kane and Rince. Uh, we'll continue to include a selection of those uh, requests in the playlist, playlist for each regular Sound of Play. Please subscribe if you don't already, uh, whatever format, whether it's your RSS feed or Apple Podcasts. Leave us an iTunes, Apple Podcasts review or rating if you can, or whatever other uh, platform you use. If it has any kind of rating system or recommendation system, it's really useful if you can tell people that you enjoy this show. Follow us, as I say, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And if you've enjoyed this show and enjoy all the shows that we put out and appreciate the amount of time and effort we put in, you can back us for as little as a dollar a month, which is just 70 odd pence through our Patreon, patreon.com slash Rince. That also gives you access to every new issue of Cane and Rince a week earlier than non-subscribers and an, uh, an exclusive monthly mini podcast with me and Jay talking about news and some just some random games and bits and bobs as well. Now, before we uh, hear from Adam and his excellent last track, probably the most famous piece we've, uh, definitely the most famous piece we've we've featured in the whole of today's podcast. Uh, have you got anything you want to plug? Any any uh, online presence or or any work that you'd like people to check out? Just Twitter, really, uh, which you've already done a, a nice job of plugging for say it me. Again. But I'll, I'll say it, I'll say it again. It's um, at Horse Morsel. Um, so yeah, follow me for any gaming chats or, you know, if you just want to, um, you know, have a bit of a laugh, maybe, you know, that's fine. Cool. Simple as that. Wow. Uh, (laughs) normally, normally people have got stuff to advertise, but, uh, yeah, horse morsel it is at horse morsel. There you go. Say it a couple more times, uh, as well as our community (laughs) contributors, I'd like to thank Adam. Uh, I've been Leon Cox, but we must hear before we play out about, this selection so obviously you were a mega drive kid well established you would have been uh, just the right age for sonic the hedgehog so was i i was like 20 when this came came out but uh, as far as i'm concerned that was just the right age for sonic the hedgehog as well but you were the actual right age for sonic the hedgehog uh, and you've picked (laughs) one of my favorite tunes from sonic 2 so uh yeah what what are your memories of sonic 2 was it was it a huge deal for you like it was for for many kids and young adults (laughs) Oh, absolutely um, a massive deal for me uh, when this came out. The original Sonic was its probably the first game I can ever remember playing. So, right. you know, it does have a very, um, it, it did have a very huge impact. And I can just remember Sonic 2 coming out and just utterly blowing me yeah. away. Um, you know, this, um, I, I can remember the, f- the first game was... Um, you know, it immediately set like a high bar of quality for me, but Sonic 2 just seemed to come along and just be an improvement in pretty much every possible way. Um, everything just seemed enhanced. You know, it had more levels, it had an extra character. You know, I can still remember like the level code to this hmm. day. It, it, it was a big part of sort of formulating my sort of gaming years. Um, so I figured if I'm going to be on Sound of Play uh, just once in my life, it, it I need to pick a Sonic Sonic tune. To be okay, honest. and how did Mystic Cave Zone <laughs> make its way to the top of your list? Just pure, pure favourite. 
Oh, I, I just love the song. Um, it's um, a lot of people sort of say, you know, Green Hill Zone and Casino Night are their favoured sort of tracks of the series. And, you know, they are great tunes, but I've always had a soft spot for this one. Um, there's something about it. It sounds like, I don't know, like a the Adams Family have sort of formed a bizarre sort of fun right. band or something yeah. like that you know um if if like i had an evil lair you know this would be playing on the, the you know over the tannoy at all times you know it's it's that kind of sort of kooky sort of um evilness that you get on like a saturday morning cartoon i guess yeah yeah um yeah i absolutely love it I, you just adore this track and this was the one this is the level where it actually had a different tune if you played in two player didn't it whereas the other the other two player sections had the same tune as in the single player game but this one had a a, an equally excellent other tune i I guess they just had a bit of space left on the cart and they had a great a great composition (laughs) left over but uh yeah i can't yeah they probably just didn't know where to put that other tune so just bung it on the end of uh, mystic can never decide which um which one i like more (laughs) Anyway, well, yes, thank you, Adam, for joining me on Sound of Play after 18 months of uh, waiting, wait, waiting for the phone to ring. I know it's been, you know, it's been all those all those nights lying awake waiting for me to get back to you. Uh, and uh, yeah, and we'll play our listeners out with Mystic Cave Zone by Masato Nakamura and see you next time on Sound of Play. Sound of Play. 